Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. A science story, huh? It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everybody, welcome to the Story Collider, where we present true personal stories about science. I am your host, Aaron Barker, and this week we're presenting stories about stress. Kind of like the feeling we all felt this week when we opened up our work email for the first time after holiday break. You know it. You love it. <laughs> our first story today is from Joey Slayman. It was recorded in August 2018 at the Lyric Hyperion in Los Angeles. The theme that night was battles. So I am the daughter of a Syrian doctor. That's not a brag. Um, the doctor part. Syrian's not a brag anywhere these days. But the doctor part's also not a brag. It's just a fact. And my dad's a doctor. Um, I inherited a lot of things from my father. Most of them come from the Syrian side instead of the doctor side, unfortunately. Uh, I have a very strong opinion about things um, that I will change on a dime based on nothing at all, much like my father. Uh, <laughs> Which really worked out for my dad. My dad um, is an oncologist, as I said, and he believed that, you know, chemotherapy is the way to treat cancer. That's what you do. And then one day he was like, I fucking hate chemo. Chemo's the worst. Chemo's for losers. I'm going to figure out something else. And he did, and it's great, and it works, and whatever. I do it a little differently. Um, while my dad was making his breakthroughs in medical science or whatever, I was really into Saved by the Bell. And I loved Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell was the best show ever. And then one day I saw NYPD Blue. And I was like, Saved by the Bell is for losers. Saved by the Bell is for assholes. NYPD Blue is everything. So it's like we're very similar in that way. Do you know what I mean? Like we have really, like we're, we're adaptable. And then it's our opinion and fact. That's, there's no opinion. It's just fact. Um, another thing that I inherited my, from my father, I mean, lots of things like my sense of humor, which is dark because of the Syrian thing. Um... <laughs> I also inherited this weird genetic thing that um, Arabic people are more predisposed to, which is a periodontal cyst. Um, it's basically an ass cyst. There's no nice way to say it. It's a cyst that lives on my ass. Um, it's genetic. Again, like I said, it's not something gross. It's not that I don't shower. I just and it's not in my ass. To be clear, it's it's like on top, like where your tailbone is is where this cyst lives. Um, the thing that brings on this cyst usually is like poor hygiene, which I don't have, but also stress, which I have a lot of. Um, I have a very stressful job. Uh, I get stressed very easily. Things stress me out. But it really didn't manifest itself until I started making like life choice decisions, where I would have an opinion, there's my opinion, and then all of a sudden it wasn't, and it was the opposite, and then I would stress out. So I was with my boyfriend for um, 11 and a half years, 
And it was a long time, and that's okay, because I was like a cool girl who didn't want to get married. And, you know, because marriage is for losers and assholes, and I wasn't a loser or an asshole. And, like, my career mattered a lot more than marriage, so fuck all those people getting married. Until one day I woke up, and I was like, why won't you marry me? What the fuck is wrong with you? What the fuck is wrong with me? Life is a nightmare. Everything I know is a lie. So, and I told, I kind of poured this out to my boyfriend and he was like, yeah, I didn't think you were super into the marriage thing based on the fact that you talked about how much you hated it all the time. And I was like, don't tell me what to think. Don't tell me what to do. It's my body, my choice, and I'm going to get married. So figure your shit out. So... I was really stressing out because this was kind of the first time since the Saved by the Bell NYPD Blue incident where I had really changed. So, so all of a sudden I started really like stressing out emotionally, which is something that I don't do. I'm very good at compartmentalizing my stress. But this stress manifested itself in a very real way on my ass. So I, the good thing about my dad being a doctor is he's the head of hematology oncology at UCLA, which is a pretty prestigious job, no big deal. And um, so I called him and I was like, I have this thing, I can't sit for a long time, it really hurts to drive or live or breathe or be on my bed or whatever. Um, so I need to do something. And he was like, it's not a big deal, nobody cares, people have real problems. And then like a month later, he was like, why didn't you tell me this, about this before? You're probably gonna die, it's probably infected. Like, just again, like that classic Syrian fucking move of like, all of a sudden it's the biggest deal and I'm probably gonna lose my legs. So. I was like, okay, well, I'll make an appointment. He's like, no, I'm gonna find you somebody and you have to get this taken care of right, like yesterday you needed to get this taken care of. So he calls in a favor, which uh, was the head of, he was like the surgical resident at UCLA, which is a pretty big deal. This guy has like worked on everybody. He's done every type of surgery. He's like the guy for surgery in California. And my dad made him look at my ass, uh, which didn't feel great. The guy was so busy actually. He was this really sweet older man. Um, he didn't have any time because he was busy dealing with like lung cancer and brain cancer um, that his uh, practice was all full. So he was like, I can meet you on my lunch break for 20 minutes. That's how long it should take. But I don't have a surgical suite available. So we'll do it in an office. Turns out his office wasn't available because he had consultations that were important. So we met at the 16th floor conference room at, uh, at UCLA, which is this big, beautiful bay windows and this gorgeous 16 foot mahogany desk. Um, like stun, like leather chairs, like medical journals, and then me and this guy. So he was like, okay, um, so let me take a look at it. And I was like, great, just focus, get it over with. So I dropped my pants and my underwear and he was like, oh no, I don't need to see. I'm sorry, I should have been, and freaked out. And I was like, oh God, I just inadvertently flashed this guy everything. So I like scramble to like pull my pants. He's like, you can just pull them down a little bit. I, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. And I was like, oh, this is really embarrassing. I'm sorry. So I, he's trying to make small talk and he's like, oh, are you married? And then I just burst into tears because I was like, no, I actually am unmarriable for some reason because life's a nightmare. And uh, he had me lean over the desk he had me lean over this desk, sprawled out with like my jeans like down a little bit. And he lances my cyst, which takes him 30 seconds, which he will never think about again. And I think about it every day of my life forever. Um, so I'm like, okay, I got through it, it's fine. Uh, the bad news was it had to be packed with cotton. It's not, like, it's not great, guys. I'm not proud of this, but it's in a place where I can't pack it. It's like right here. So my boyfriend had to pack my hole on my ass every day for a long time. And I was like, well, now he's never gonna marry me. But he defied, the, like, 
defied the odds, and we got married. Spoiler alert. Um, and it's great and nice. Uh, and it was fine because I was like, great news. That was the only life decision I'll ever have to make because everything else is falling into place. I definitely don't want kids. Kids are for assholes. Kids are for losers. I know everything. And then my younger brother announced that he was pregnant. Uh, well, not him, but his wife was pregnant. And I was like, why don't we have a kid? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? Everything's a nightmare. And he was like, I thought you didn't really want kids right away. And I was like, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do with my body. Put a baby in me right now or fucking get the fuck out. So, all of, so I'm having this crisis again. And while this is happening, show enough, like the cyst comes back. So I, this time I'm like, no, I'm not taking that on. I don't have the mental capacity for it. I cannot face that poor doctor guy in that mahogany desk again. So I'm just going to live with it, and it's going to be fine, and it's going to go away, and meanwhile I'll get pregnant. Uh, and then everybody in my life was telling me how to get pregnant, and the one scientific point to this story is if you are someone who has kids and somebody is trying to have kids, please don't tell them what you did to have kids because it makes my uterus lock up. And I know you're trying to be helpful, but it's the least helpful thing you can do. And so all this advice I was getting, I was starting to spin out because none of it was working and we couldn't get pregnant and it was terrible. And my cyst got worse. It was like a baby growing on my ass, but like not cute and cuddly, but like filled with nightmare fluids. So I called my dad, my dad again and I was like, that thing is back. And he was like, okay, I'll make some calls. And I was like, oh no, not again, my friend. You're not calling that guy who's the head of, like the head surgical resident at UCLA. And he was like, why not? I thought that guy was good. And I was like, no, that was my worst nightmare. We're not doing that again. And he's like, all right, I'll, I'll give you somebody else. Don't worry about it. But you have to come in today or else you're going to lose both your legs and probably never be able to walk again. So he, he called this guy who I like couldn't Google very well. Like I couldn't Google him. He didn't pop up as like lead guy who saves lives. So I was like, okay, this should be safe. Um, he's the head of uh, robotic surgery at UCLA, which is actually a very big deal. Robotic surgery is like the nano surgeries that they can do with wires and it's very fascinating and technologically advanced and very important and very much not my ass. So this poor guy, I guess, owed a favor to my dad or something, or like lost a bet. So I had to go in and this guy did have a surgical suite, thank God. And he was like, okay, well, let me take a look at the cyst. I only have 15 minutes. And I was like, okay, got it. So I start pulling my pants down a little bit and he's like, I can't really see anything. I don't know what that is. Can you pull them down a little bit more? And I was like, yep. So I pull it down like a little centimeter. And then it keeps going on for a while because I'm not making the same mistake I did last time. And then I realize with horror that I'm doing this weird strip tease with, this, with the head of robotic surgery for about five minutes. I'm like slowly pulling down my pants while talking to this guy about his life. Uh, and he was like, I'm sorry, can you just take your pants off? And I was like, yes, I'm really sorry. I, last time, it doesn't matter. So I start, I take my pants off and I wear thongs. Again, not a brag, it's just a fact. I don't like underwear. It feels like pants, um, but I wear thongs and I, take my jeans off and he's he was about to say oh can you please remove and I could see in his face where he was gonna say underwear and then he looked and saw a thong but then didn't want to call it a thong so he just went can you please remove your panties which was the worst thing I've ever heard come out of any doctor including terrible diagnoses but I doubled down I was like my panties of course I can remove my panties I love removing my panties because I didn't want him to feel bad because I already felt awful so I take my thong off and I'm standing there and he lances my cyst, which again takes about 30 seconds, which I will never live down. 
So while we're doing it, he's like, oh, are you married? And I was like, as a matter of fact, I am. And he's like, do you have any kids? And then I start crying. And he was like, I'm sorry, is it painful? And I was like, no, I just can't have children, which isn't necessarily true, but just felt very real in the moment. And I just said, I don't have, I can't have children. He was like, oh, well, you're all set. So if you want to put your pants back on, I'll leave you to it. So I left the guy's office. Once again, I was mortified. Once again, this cyst has caused the second worst day of my life, first being the first time. Um, But I've realized that it's okay that I'm changing my opinions and it's okay that I'm changing my mind as long as the cyst doesn't come back. Thank you. That was Joey Slayman. Joey has worked as a writer and producer on shows such as Arrested Development, Those Who Can't, and Bobcat Goldwaite's Misfits and Monsters. She's currently working on season two of I'm Sorry for True TV. Despite no formal training, she will happily give you medical advice if you ask for it. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Listening to these stories today, I'm thinking about my own recent experiences of stress. 2018 was a great year for us at Story Collider, but it was also definitely stressful. And looking back at the end of the year, it was hard to see anything other than the things that I didn't do exactly right or that I didn't get a chance to do. I have, for example, 2,149 unread emails which I'm not proud of. And the scientists on our team will get a kick out of this because I am always accusing them of perfectionism, but I am actually a little bit of a perfectionist myself at times. I hate to admit it. It's one thing to admit you're a perfectionist if the stuff you actually do really is perfect, like with many of the scientists I'm talking about. But let's face it, it's a little bit more embarrassing when you're someone like me who frequently forgets the day of the week and often has ketchup on her shirt. (laughs) So... It's been, it's been rough looking back at the end of the year. But then right around the new year, I got a letter from my good friend Matthew Dix, an author and a storyteller who's told stories at our show many times. And it was a really beautiful letter that contained this line. You should never think that you haven't done enough or aren't doing enough, ever. As soon as I read it, I burst into tears, just like big, ugly sobs. I had no idea that that was exactly what I needed to hear, but it was. So in case you just finished a difficult and stressful year and you need to hear it today, I'll say it again. You should never think that you haven't done enough or aren't doing enough, ever. Thank you so much, Matt. And on a related note, I hope you'll all stay tuned to our social media accounts this week for a big announcement. Our next story today is from Kelly Vinyl, one of Story Collider Atlanta's producers. It was recorded in June 2018 at the Highland Inn and Ballroom in Atlanta. The theme that night was shakeups. So, I was staring at myself in the mirror, 
coffee in hand, of course, trying desperately to laser beam some confidence into my reflection. So I'd been doing all the right things, right? I'd been dancing around my room all morning to Big Frida in my fancy blouse and my fancy skirt. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'd been taking all kinds of deep breaths and telling myself admittedly lame-ass stuff in the mirror, like, dude, you got this. You know stuff and things. You're totally going to kill this. <laughs> now, in case anyone out there is concerned that perhaps I'm a hunter or assassin, uh, don't worry. What I was going to kill, at least hopefully, was my qualifying exam. Now, for the uninitiated, um, a qualifying exam is this big, scary thing that second-year PhD students do um, in order to get the green light to conduct their dissertation research. So in my program, this meant writing a research proposal, outlining everything I intended to do to complete my PhD, and then orally defending this exam in front of my thesis committee. I'd already gone through the process of writing and then rewriting and then rewriting <laughs> my proposal, and I'd been studying for months. I mean, years, really, if you think about it. And the day was finally here, and I was a verifiable wreck, but, you know, totally pretending not to be. Um, but I'll level with you. Leading up to this, I'd been battling some pretty serious self-doubt. Honestly, I'd been having panic attacks on the regular and crying in various corners and locations on campus <laughs> and downing definitely inappropriate amounts of caffeine <laughs> in order to pull all-nighters to just get as much study time as I possibly could, you know? So I'd already been through all of that. Um, and honestly, I just didn't really feel like someone like me was smart enough to pass this exam. And I didn't really feel worthy enough to take up space in my graduate program to begin with. And if I was being super honest, I had never quite identified as a scientist. I didn't think that someone like me was good enough to be a scientist, that's for sure. And between you and me, and us, I guess, um, <laughs> I was a little iffy on what being a scientist actually really even meant. Ah, so all I really knew was that I love science and I wanted to learn everything there is to know about diseases. And that might sound kind of insane to join a PhD program based on those two criteria. And that's because it kind of is. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, I saw my qualifying exam as like this big, like significant moment of truth, right? Where someone might finally call my bluff and just like point to me and be like, yeah, you're not smart enough. You're an imposter. So I made my way to campus, aggressively ignoring the situation in my stomach and uh, my sweaty palms. I mean, at this point, my palms had been sweaty for months anyway. Um, and I entered the room that I had booked months before and kind of like <clears throat> cleared my throat and like scoped out the scene. Um, and what I saw was a row of my thesis committee sitting in the front, my advisor sitting in the back, and then a faculty member who was there to oversee the exam sitting to the right. So I took a big deep breath and took my place in front of the whiteboard. And so it began. So the idea with an exam like this is to probe for the bounds of my knowledge. So any questions for a game, nothing off limits. The idea is to know everything about everything related to my project, or at least be able to work through, you know, using my scientific knowledge. And it started off well enough. I was drawing diagrams all over the whiteboard, like filling up all the space, um, and answering all these questions for, you know, things that I had studied on all those late nights in the library. And I was just like, yes, like I'm doing it. <laughs> um, and I felt like it was going pretty well. 
And the truth is, if I can turn off that mega anxious part of my brain, I love this stuff. <laughs> I mean, you can call me crazy if you want, but I've always been obsessed with diseases, like viruses, bacteria, parasites, all that stuff fascinates me. I love learning the intricate details of how exactly they work, like what the molecules are doing, like where they come from, how they spread, and like all the loopholes in your body systems that they take advantage of. Um, and I joined this lab because the project was so cool. I was studying HIV using actual patient samples, and I couldn't wait to get this stupid thing over with so I could just get started in the lab. Soon, though, I was answering a question about how B cells mature, and my memory got a little bit like slippery. <laughs> and I went from answering questions with exclamation points at the end to answering them with question marks at the end. Uh, and the thing about these exams is that they don't tell you if you get an answer wrong. Okay, These professors have impressive poker faces, and they'll continue to ask you questions to build on your answers. So it's possible for you to dig yourself into a big asshole and not realize it. So that was kind of percolating in the back of my brain. I knew that was a possibility, and I didn't want it to happen to me. Not me, no. Um, but I, ugh, I knew I got something wrong, and I didn't know exactly what it was. And then I was trying to figure it out, and then I just like I freaked out. I just started to panic, and my throat like closed up, and my fingers got tingly, and then numb, and I like felt like I couldn't breathe. And I kind of felt like, you know, when you're like on a roller coaster, like about to plunge down, like that's what my body felt like. And if you know me at all, I hate roller coasters. This is not a good situation. <laughs> um, and my brain just kind of like, I don't know, is out of service. Like that blue screen of death that computers get, that's like what was happening. And I couldn't remember anything anymore, not even the easy stuff. Um, now, the, the other thing about these exams is that your advisor isn't allowed to say anything at all. They just kind of sit there silently staring at you. And it was around then that my advisor got up and left. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I was just like, oh, she must have had like a ton of coffee. I'm sure she's just going to the bathroom. <laughs> um, and then I started to notice how frowny everyone in the room had gotten, and I was just like, oh shit, okay, uh, this is not good, got it, okay. Uh, and I took just everything inside of me to just keep the tears inside, pretend it's fine, it's cool. So for the remaining time of my exam, I mean, it could have been minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, I have no idea. I was just like, hold it together, you got this. <laughs> so eventually the exam ended, thank God. Um, and my committee asked me to step outside into the lobby. And it was definitely pretty surreal. I mean, I'd sat at this same table next to this like sunny wall of windows nearly every day for the past two years. And I'd come to associate it with like friends and snacks. Um, <laughs> but this time I was biting my fingernails in a pool of my own sweat, no snacks. Um, <laughs> and actually, a classmate of mine was sitting nearby, and she kind of told me um, with a sad look in her eyes, like, do you want me to give it to you straight? Like, if it's taking this long, that's not a good sign. So, of course, like, my brain's just going bananas. I'm like, God, why did I think I was ever good enough? Like, why did I put myself in this position? So, eventually, my committee called me back inside the room. And the first thing I noticed was kind of like a sea of stern faces and sad looks. And um, things got a little blurry. Uh, one of my committee members, I couldn't even tell you which one at this point, uh, told me that unfortunately I had failed my exam. 
And, you know, my brain short circuited and it was kind of like I was underwater, but then I also had like had this out of body experience or like floated up to the top of the room and looked at that like sad person. And it, it was just really surreal. Like this was my worst nightmare coming true in real time. Like finally real life proof that I'm not good enough happening right now. And my brain was like exploding. Um, one by one, my committee members took turns telling me, you know, we really think that you should leave with a master's. Uh, we just, we don't think you have what it takes to be here. And then they left. In the days following, I had a lot of time to think about how I had ended up here and, you know, what in the world I was going to do next. Um, I was met with overwhelming support and love from friends and family, and I was super grateful for that. But I just couldn't get past how, like, this overwhelming feeling of failure, like, I failed, right? And I just really wallowed in that feeling of failure. And, you know, I hardly left my room for days just, like, moping around in my sad pajamas eating popcorn for dinner again. <laughs> um, and, you know, as far as I knew, uh, only a handful of people in, like, the history of the world had ever failed this thing before, right? <laughs> and surely they were just idiots. Um, <laughs> it wasn't something that people talked about seriously, though. Like, it was kind of kept in the download, like, whisper status. Um, and so I was just like, uh, I guess I'm one of those idiots. And... I had zero backup plan. Like, I had put all my stupid eggs in the stupid basket, and I hadn't really thought through, like, long-term, like, what my plan was going to be. And so I was just miserable. No idea what I was going to do. Eventually, I had a chance to meet with the faculty member who oversaw my exam. And then later I met with other um, mentors and friends in my program. And I came to understand some information that helped put things in perspective for me. I found out that although my advisor had been overwhelmingly kind and supportive in our meetings, for the most part, um, she'd been saying some kind of brutal things about me behind my back, which I didn't expect. Um, someone even told me that she had told them she wanted to kick me out of the lab. And, you know, it seemed to me like maybe this qualifying exam was just like an easy-peasy, clear-cut way to do that. And there were a couple of professors that... Um, were furious on my behalf. And like, honestly, that was pretty validating. So this new information paired with declarations of support from mentors of mine, professors that I'd worked closely with, kind of gave me the boost that I needed. Um, I was advised to just, you know what? Find a new lab. We think you'd belong to be here. Start over and don't look back. So I, I came to realize that as strong as I'd been trying to be on my own, um, I hadn't been receiving the support that I needed. And I also, around this time, I got a therapist who taught me that there's a name for what I'd been experiencing. Maybe not just grad school, but for quite some time. And that's generalized anxiety disorder and depression. And I learned the hard way, as these things always go, it's kind of the only way to do it, <laughs> that if something feels really, really wrong, then it probably is, and you should never have to feel that way. And there's always help for you. So that summer, I did a lot of soul searching, and I kept going to therapy. I learned how to kind of coexist with that neurotic brain of mine, and I did a lot of studying, and I met with a lot more professors. And, you know, really, I was on the hunt to figure out where exactly do I fit. By the end of the summer, 
I found a professor who was willing to take me on as a student. And I also accidentally fell in love with biochemistry, which I did not see coming. <laughs> um, I wrote another research proposal and scheduled another qualifying exam. This time, as I waited in the lobby to hear my fate, it felt different. It didn't take long this time. The door opened and I saw a smiling face, an outreached hand, and a cheerful voice saying, congratulations, young lady. And I had found my place. I'd found balance. And I was grateful. Thank you. That was Kelly Vinyl. Kelly is a PhD biochemist, science writer, educator, producer, and adventure enthusiast based in Atlanta, Georgia. She's currently a freelance science communicator, serving as festival coordinator for the Atlanta Science Festival, a producer for Story Collider, that's us, and scientist in residence for Steam Truck. Kelly has also organized conferences, hosted a children's TV show, written for various outlets, produced a science-themed bicycle scavenger hunt, hosted podcasts, collaborated on science-infused art projects, and trained to lead museum tours, all in the name of inspiring curiosity and wonder about science. Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barker, as well as Executive Director Liz Neely, with help from Operations Support Manager Lindsay Cooper and the rest of our amazing team. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Audrey Kearns, Joseph Scrimshaw, Mesa Salida, and Emma Yarbrough, with help from Kelly Vinyl. The podcast is produced by Senior Podcast Editor Zoe Saunders, with help from Gwen Hogan. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Lyric Hyperion and the Highland Inn Ballroom for hosting these shows, and to my good friend Matt for the inspiration. Thanks for listening. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.